Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Gospel Record of Mark. The Gospel Record of Mark and chapter number 5. The Gospel Record of Mark and chapter number 5. We are so thankful to be able to walk through this Gospel Record and it's taken us all this time to get to chapter 5. Just walking with Jesus Christ as He walked in this earthly ministry to see how He interacts with different folks to see how different people respond and to see the actions that he did and the miracles that he did. We now find our way to the gospel record of Mark in chapter number 5. And if you wouldn't mind to look with me in the gospel record of Mark in chapter 5, let us look starting at verse number 1. Mark chapter 5 and verse 1, the Bible says, They came over into the other side of the sea, into the country of the Gadarenes. And when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit, who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no man could bind him, no, not with chains. Because that when he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. But after he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him, and cried with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of the Most High God? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. For he said unto him, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. And he said unto him, What is thy name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he besought him much that he would not send him away out of the country. Now there was there nigh unto the mountains a great herd of swine feeding. And all the devils besought him, saying, Send us into the swine, that we may may enter them. And forthwith Jesus gave them leave. And the unclean spirits went out and entered into the swine. And the herd ran violently down a sleep place into the sea. They were about 2,000 and were choked in the sea. And they that fed the swine fled and told it in the city and in the country. And they went out to see what it was that was done. And they came to Jesus and see him that was possessed with the devil and had a legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And they that saw it told them how it befell him that was possessed with the devil and also concerning the swine. And they began to pray him to depart out of their coast. And when he was come into the ship, he that had been possessed with the devil prayed him that he might be with him. Howbeit Jesus suffered him not, but saith unto him, Go home, 
to thy friends, and tell them how great things the Lord had done for thee, and hath compassion on thee. And he departed and began to publish in Decapolis how great things Jesus had done for him, and all men marveled. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the Gospel record of Mark in chapter number 5? The Gospel record of Mark chapter 5, and notice with me in verse 20, dealing with this maniac of Gadara, notice what it said, how great things Jesus had done for him. He began to publish or to preach about the great things Jesus had done for him. For him, And with this, we're going to do a, a quick study on what people commonly call the maniac of Gadara. The maniac of Gadara. If you wouldn't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. A God who can help anyone. A God that could truly change someone's life. And all they have to do is have an encounter with the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, the God of all gods, the God of the universe, robed in flesh, Jesus Christ. I'm so thankful that you still change lives, that you can still change who people are, and they become a new creature. We're praying that we would understand more about what you did with this man's life, with the scriptures here, and that we could understand how important it is that we stay close to you and allow you to do the changing. Thank you again for whom you are. Give me filling of your precious spirit that we could explain this text the way that you want it explained. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The maniac of Kadera. Now, they've already had some interesting times. The Bible continues on in verse number five, or chapter five, and notice with me in verse one, it has the word and. What is this and? What is it connecting? Well, remember, Jesus said, All right, boys, we're going to the other side. And so they went to the other side. And so they had a storm going on. And this was a horrible storm. And let me remind you that the storm just did not hit the Sea of Galilee. But it hit the surrounding area. And so they went to the other side and they landed on the shore of a country called the Gadarenes. Now, in this, they had about 10 cities linked together. This is what is called Decapolis. This 10 cities. And in here, you have a man who Jesus Christ is going to have an encounter with. The very first thing I'd like to show you from this text is a man the world could not help. A man the world could not help. Notice, if you don't mind, in chapter 5 and verse 1. And they came over unto the other side of the sea, into the country of the Gadarenes. And when he, that's Jesus, was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. So Jesus is getting out of the ship, and as he's getting out of the ship, all of a sudden there's a guy coming. You can imagine in his mind, the Bible says that he has no clothes. The Bible says that he has chains following behind him, and fetters and handcuffs kind of broken. You can imagine his wild hair. Nobody's been able to give him a haircut his whole time in quarantine. I mean, his whole time when he is uh, in the tombs. He's living in a cemetery. He's living amongst these dead remains. He is coming down. You could almost see him almost slithering and slobbering. And as he's running down the mountain just screaming. Ah! 
If you just got off a ship and you just got through a storm and you're met by a guy screaming who looks like this, what would you be thinking? Probably not the, the entrance, the welcome that these disciples were expecting, especially after the night that they had. Could you imagine how tired they are and how less sleep they did not get? They probably maybe got a little bit of a nap, maybe, as the storm was cleared. But now they enter onto the other side. And immediately they're met with this crazy guy running down the mountain, screaming with these chains coming up, looking like a madman because he is a madman. Notice as the Bible describes him further in verse number three. Who had his dwelling among the tombs. So here's a man who lived in a graveyard. He lived in a cemetery. I don't know how many of you would feel comfortable having your home in a cemetery. They say of uh, Charles Spurgeon, the way, the way that he developed his imagination when he was a young boy, is that what he would do in London is that he would go into the cemetery in the middle of the night. And that one of the large tombs, the mausoleums, had a crack in it. Just enough that him and his little body could fit inside of it. And so what he would do is he would go into the crack and in the middle of the night. And he would slither in and lay on top of the coffin. And close his eyes and let his imagination run with him. Now, I don't know what kind of setting you would think in that our minds automatically develop imagination depending on the setting. If you're laying on a prairie with the sunflowers and the birds singing and the beautiful sun and the, and the clouds and you close your eyes, you're probably thinking of pleasant spring or summer thoughts. But if you're in a mausoleum, inside of a dark mausoleum, in a cemetery in the middle of the night, laying on a coffin where underneath inside is a dead body, I wonder what kind of imagination you would develop. Well, he said that later on, this helped him to be able to have an imagination and be able to take his thoughts that he had in his head and be able to communicate truth to other people. But again, Charles Spurgeon only did that as a kid to develop his imagination. Here was a man who lived in a cemetery. His full-time bed was probably someone's coffin or someone's grave plot. His pillows were tombstones. And he had the moon and the, to keep him company, the fog that would come overnight. That was the place where this man lived. You could almost say that it was probably 2020 Mockingbird Lane. But this is where he lived at. And... Now he comes to meet Jesus. Notice again in verse 3. Who had his dwelling place among the tombs. No man could bind him. No not with chains. Now here's a man. That every once in a while. The people would capture him. And you could imagine part of that party. Alright let's go capture the maniac today. He's running loose. And so they do whatever they have to do. To tackle the guy. And they bind him with chains. Now it's probably not little wimpy chains. But these are some massive chains. And yet, because of the demons inside of him, he's supernaturally strong. And he keeps snapping these chains. Again, I don't know what kind of uh, feeling you would have, but here's a guy who lives in the tombs. And you can imagine the guys capture him. He lives in the tombs, is already mad and crazy. And when you finally get him into chains, he snaps them. You could just imagine that. 
what would you do? Probably not hang around him either. So here's a man you can imagine having chains dragging after him. He's probably out of his mind. Verse number four, because that he had been often bound, often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. That carries the idea that they could not sit him down and teach him manners. They could not house train him. This guy was crazy and out of his mind. This man was a man who was not in a good thing. And the people tried to help him. The world tried to come up with their answers. Now, it probably wasn't the answers the Bible had, but they were doing the best they could. They, could you imagine someone, a bleeding heart, who said, listen, all this guy needs is love, so I'm going to invite him to my house, and we're going to sit him down at the table, and we're going to have him with our friends and family. And next thing you know, the dinner party's over because the table's broke, the chairs are all crumpled up, and the man's running loose in the town. Well, that didn't work. Some people had the bright idea of what we need to do is we have to confine them. If we could settle them down. And it shows many times they chained them up. That was their answer. They were trying to find some answers. They tried to tame them. They tried to pr- imprison him. But none of it changed his condition. Notice, as you, notice in verse number 5. And always, always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs crying. And cutting himself with stones. This is a man who is in torment. He is in pain. If you could allow a serious subject here, that we still have people who cut themselves. And the reason why, as I've been told by cutters themselves, the reason why they cut is because they have internal pain that they somehow need to externalize. They have to be able to express the internal pain. So here is a man. He's not evil. He's not wicked. But he is troubled. He is hurting inside. And no one can help him. Don't you think this man wanted help? Don't you think that he was willing to allow some people to try? And it all failed. None of it can heal his condition. None of them can change what was in him. None of them would do that. And he cried and he he was in a place of internal pain. That he would cause himself external pain. As he began to cut himself with stones. Here's a man the world could not help. And you look at him and you almost want to write it off and say there's no hope for him. Here's a man that... Science cannot help. Here's a man that medicine cannot help. Here's a man that psychology can't help. Here's a man that good intentions can't help. Here's a man that imprisonment can't help. Here is a man who is beyond all help. But he is not without hope. The world could not help him. But there was a day he had a confrontation with a master. He had a confrontation with a master. Notice with me in verse 6. But when he, that maniac, saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him. Again, use your divine imagination. The storm has calmed, but yet there's still clouds in the sky. The rain overnight has produced a mist. The man is been in the caves and the tombstone. The sun is just now beginning to crack up and it's just the quiet before the dawn. There's a stillness, a fog in the air. 
and the man may be rooting around in the tombs. He's not sleeping well because of the torments that he has. And while he's up on the mountain, he sees the ship come by. And he sees a bunch of people around it. But there's one person that catches his attention. That's the master. That's Jesus. And this man comes tearing down off the mountain and runs to Jesus and worshiped him. You see, what this man needed is he needed to meet God. God was the one who was going to change his life. It was Jesus that was going to change him. And he recognized that this was his hope. Jesus was his hope. Verse number 7. And cried with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of the Most High God? I adjure you, I beg you, I plead thee by God that thou torment me not. Here, the demons inside of him recognize Jesus. They recognize this is the Son of God. May I remind you that the demons were created by God. They knew Jesus personally. The demons were fallen angels. That means they were angels. And for some time before Satan fell, these angels worked for God. They worked for Jesus. This isn't their first time meeting him. They've known him for a while. But now, they're fallen. They're possessing this man. And they still recognize who Jesus is. And they said, Jesus... Don't torment us. Jesus, now's not our time. Notice as Jesus gets in a conversation with him, verse 8. For he said unto him, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. And he, that's Jesus, asked him, What is thy name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. Now at this time, a Roman legion consisted of 6,000 troops. So if you can imagine this man, no, man, no wonder he was in torments. 6,000 demons living inside of one host. This man was truly in torments and truly in a place that the world could not help him. But Jesus could. And Jesus said, come out! Come out! Now, he the, and the demons besought him much that he would not send them away out of the country. Now, what this is referring to is the demons are actually saying, hey, we know where our eternal destination is. It's hell. And may I remind you that Satan is not in hell now. Satan does not run hell. That is not his ownership. He does not want to go to hell because that is where he's going to be eternally punished without ever being released. That is where he's going forever and ever and ever. And so was all these fallen angels, these demons. They said, no, don't let us go to hell now. We don't want to go to hell. And may I also put a reminder that if these demons don't want to go to hell, neither do you. Hell is an awful place. It's not a place where you can go catch up with your friends. It's not a place where just evil people are going to do evil things. It is a place of torment even for these fallen angels and for Satan himself one day. And so they beg Jesus, Jesus, please, we don't want to go to hell now. Don't send us out of this man and send us to that place. It's not where we want to go. And verse number 10, and he besought him much that he would not send him away out of the country. Verse 11, now there were nigh unto the mountain a great herd of swine feeding. 
And forthwith, Jesus gave them leave. And the unclean spirits went out and entered into the swine. And the herd ran violently down a steep place into the sea. They were about 2,000, meaning 2,000 pigs, and were choked in the sea. So if you can imagine this, that Jesus says, get out! And the demon says, please, we don't want to go to hell now. Send us up there. And Jesus said, all right, that's what you want to do. Go ahead. And so he gives them permission to go into the swine. And the swine go crazy and they run into the sea and they die. And some people who study such things believe they went to hell after that. So Jesus gave them a couple more seconds. But they perished anyways. I don't know if you've ever been about pigs. But again, Sometimes we, in our divine imaginations, need to imagine 2,000 pigs. Pigs can get pretty big. Let's say that they're between 100 to 200 pounds. And you got 2,000 of these pigs. That's a lot of pork. And all of a sudden, this big swarm, this herd of swine, starts squealing and going crazy And normally it's not common for animals just to say, hey, we're going to go run off this cliff. But all of a sudden they stampede off the cliff and you could watch the little piggies and crash into the sea. Now that's a sight to behold. How would you like to be if you were in charge of these pigs? Notice what happens to them. In verse number 14, and they that fed the swine, so these are the herdsmen, the ones who was in charge of taking the care of the piggies. And they that fed the swine and told it to the city and in the country, and they went out to see what was done. Can you imagine that? They watched the pigs they were supposed to be in charge with, each of them 100 pounds, 200 pounds, running into the sea, 2,000 piggies start going on. If you start calculating, imagine what it would be like in today's economy to process a pig. That's about $400, $600 times 2,000. That's a lot of money that just went overboard. Someone just lost a lot of money as these things went on. You imagine these guys going back to town and they say, hey, why are you back? Aren't you supposed to be watching the pigs? There's nothing to watch now. What do you mean there's nothing to watch? Let me tell you what happened. And the people listened. And the other guys nodding their head as the main ones telling the story. Yeah, man, it was amazing. And they say, you know, everyone wanted to see what happened. So we start off here with a man the world could not help. But then he had a confrontation with the master. Which brings us to the last thing here. The evidence of a changed life. The evidence of a changed life. So these herdsmen come in. And they begin to tell everyone what happened. What an amazing story. And that story spread. And people from all around went to come see what occurred. Notice if you don't mind in verse 14 again. And they that fed the swine fled and told it uh, in the city and in the country. Not just in the city, but in the country. And they went out to see that was done. And they, all these people that wanted to see, came to Jesus and see him, that maniac, that was possessed with the devil and had a legion sitting clothed and in his right mind. And what was their response? They were afraid. They were afraid. So here's a man 
For a long time, the people tried to do everything they could to help him. And they could not be helped. And you can imagine that many of them have just given up. There's no change. There's no way this man's ever going to be fixed. He's stuck in his ways. There's nothing that you do to help. But Jesus always gives hope. And so they come by and they see the man. And notice how he's described. He is sitting This is unusual because this is a man who cries and cuts himself and breaks chains and runs around the tombs. They had never seen the guy sitting calmly. There's something about being able to be at rest to sit down. Some of you even have a hard time sitting down because you're so nervous all the time. You're so worried, you're so fretful. You got things in your mind, you can't sit down. There's something about being able to sit down calmly because you're at peace. And he was sitting. Not only was he sitting, but he was clothed. Again, the people have been watching this man. This man was not one who usually bathed every day or changed clothes every day. But now he is sitting and he's clothed. He's decent. There's something that changed inside of him. He has a peace. He's able to sit down. There's something that changed in him. He has an idea of modesty about him. And he's now clothed. But notice this. He's in his right mind. He's in his right mind. He now can think properly. Do you know that there's people who are troubled? People who are worried? People who are anxious? People who are fretful? People who are fearful? They're not in their right mind. Their brain does not think correctly. I mean, they and they can't help it. Their mind is that way. We understand that our belief affects behavior. But there are things that affect our belief. There are certain things that we see and perceive. There are certain things that we understand that changes how we think. And here's a man who's now thinking correctly. What made the difference? Jesus did. Jesus made him into a new creature. The old things, they passed away. Behold, all things have become new. He is indeed a new creature. He has a changed life. Verse 16, And they that saw it told it them how it befell him that was possessed of the devil and concerning the swine. You know what they did here? He gave his testimony. He gave his testimony of how he came to know the Lord. Before I came to know the Lord, I was not in my right mind. Before I came to know the Lord, I was tormented inside by demons. Before I came to know the Lord, I had no peace. Before I came to know the Lord, people tried to help me and I could not take their help. Before I came to know the Lord, people did their best and I would not respond properly. Before I came to know the Lord, I hurt those around me. But there was a day that I met Jesus Christ. I met the master. I realized that I deserved hell. I realized that there was something inside of me that deserved to die. And it was just a word spoken by the master that he made me whole. He forgave me. He cleansed me. He forgave me. And I am now a different person. You know one of the most powerful things that you have in your arsenal is your personal testimony. How you came to know the Lord. And let me tell you, your personal testimony has three parts. What your life was like before you came to know the Lord. How you came to know the Lord. And what your life is like now that you met the Lord. You know what happened? These men saw the change of this man. They heard his testimony. They witnessed his changed life. And they were afraid. 
They were afraid. What were they afraid of? Well, they were afraid the same thing could happen to them. You know, there's some people who don't want to change life. There's some people who enjoy the life that they live. But that enjoyment, it's so false. If they would be honest with them, they could say that there's something missing. And they don't need to be afraid. Jesus can fix them. By the way, notice what happens in verse 17. And they begin to pray him to depart out of their coast. You know what they do? They kick Jesus out. They throw him out of the land. They don't want him nearby. If you read ahead later on, next time Jesus comes back to the same coast, there's a whole crowd waiting for him. And they're ready to see him again. But at this time, their first contact... They don't want to have anything to do with Jesus because they're afraid. They're afraid that Jesus will change them when that's exactly what they need. Verse 8. And when he was come into the ship, he that had been possessed with the devil prayed him that he might come with him. However, Jesus suffered him not, but saith unto him, Go home to thy friends and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee and hath compassion on thee. He says, go home. Why go home? Because the people who you live with, the people that's around you, are the people that know you best. And they are the ones that are going to be able to see if you're putting on a show or if something really happened to you. That's one of the greatest evidences that the Bible works is the evidence of a changed life. The greatest evidence that what we say about the Bible that it's true is the evidence of a changed life. There's nothing that can reproduce that evidence. There's nothing like that evidence. There's nothing can stand up against that evidence. Watching someone who lives a life that is different, not because they're faking it, but because Jesus changed them is the greatest testimony. There are some people who will not be reached because a preacher preaches a message. But they will be reached because they watch their wife at home become a different person. Because they watch their co-worker at work change and become a different person. Not on the outside, but the people who are close to you, they know you. They're your biggest critics. They're the ones who are going to evaluate you closely. And if you show an evidence of a changed life because of your encounter with Jesus Christ, they will be convinced And that's exactly what happened here. Notice with me in verse 20. And he departed and began to publish in Decapolis, those ten cities, how great things Jesus done for him, and all men marveled. May I also point out that this man didn't get a theological degree. This man didn't get a course on soul winning. This man did not get instructions of how to influence people. But what he did is he just told his story, his testimony. Let me tell you about the time that I met Jesus Christ. Before I came to know the Lord, my life was a mess and I had no peace. Before I came to know the Lord, my life was a wreck and I hurt those around me. But I met Jesus Christ and he changed me within. I had an encounter with a master and he made me a new creature. Now I have peace. Now I think correctly. Now I, even the clothes I wear is different. Because I had an encounter with Jesus. Let me tell you the greatest tool you have in your toolbox is your story. Your personal testimony of how you came to know the Lord. And that's something that people cannot argue with. They cannot debate. 
be especially if people see for themselves something happened to you. Now, if you are saved, meaning you come to the place where you realize that you were a sinner and because of your sin that you've offended a holy, righteous God, but that Jesus was your only hope and you asked Jesus to save you or deliver you from the punishment you owed to forgive you of your sins, if you are saved, you do have a testimony. But perhaps there's someone that doesn't have that testimony. Let me tell you that you need to have an encounter with Jesus Christ and Jesus will change you from the inside out. Maybe there's someone that says that I'm saved, but inside here I hurt. Inside of here it hurts and I'm tempted to show it on the outside. And let me tell you, people may try to give you advice and they may try to do stuff. But what you need most of all is you need to have an encounter with Jesus Christ. Jesus can have hope. You may have little hope in all different areas. You may have little hope that your circumstances will change. You may have little hope that your marriage is going to be fixed. You may have little hope that the pain that you have, the depression that you have is ever going to go away. But let me tell you, Jesus is hope. And you need to have a personal encounter with Jesus. You need to get alone with the master and say, Jesus, you change me. You cleanse me. You fix my thinking. You make it right. That more than you need a preacher, you need Jesus. More than you need good kind words, you need Jesus. More than you need therapy, more than you need medication, you need Jesus. And when you have Jesus, he'll make you a new creature. Old things will pass away. Behold, all things become new. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 920- Five three zero six three zero eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three zero eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.